Make some noise if you're excited to be alive right now. Man. You guys look good. You look really good. I know we've been sitting still for a little while, so I thought it'd be really nice to begin with a game. And there's actually going to be a little bit of a reward at the end of this game if you are brave enough to hang in there. And even if you're not, I'm going to go ahead and make the not-so-shameless plug that myself and a lot of the artists that I work with back home in Nashville, Tennessee, are currently giving away a lot of free music at lovegoodculture.com. slash free. So even if you don't win a pop socket or a bumper sticker or a book, I had a CD, but I gave it to some Carmelite nuns. I cannot resist them, okay? <laughs> Literally in a matter of minutes, I was giving them everything I had access to. This is why they never let me run my own merch table. I just give it all away, you know? But uh, actually, the bumper stickers are free. They're in the bookstore. Everybody should get one before you leave. But this is your big chance to win a beautiful prayer book called Orazio with the Nashville skyline where I'm from, conveniently juxtaposed in a 19th century painting from France. See it up close and personal, you know what I'm talking about. And a pop socket, okay? See, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that this workshop is about truth because actually so much of my life and my career and my vocation right now is talking about beauty. I work with a lot of artists back home in Nashville, Tennessee. We're a part of this movement called Love Good. One of the reasons we chose this logo of the arrow in the heart is because of a quote by Pope Benedict XVI. He talked about beauty piercing the heart, wounding it like an arrow. And actually once wounded, the heart can't help but want to trace that wound back to its source, who is of course God, the divine archer himself, the author of all that is true, good, and beautiful. So it's very much my instinct to believe that beauty can save the world, that beauty is actually an incredible tool in the evangelization of culture. But if that beauty isn't rooted in truth, which is what we're going to talk about this afternoon, then in fact, it will never wound this soul. It might prick it, it might give it a little bit of a, a, little bit of a nick on its way by, but it will not wound the soul enough for that person to then want to trace it back to its source. So beauty cannot exist without truth. And I dare say in another session, I'll talk about this one day, that actually truth cannot exist without beauty either. Okay, so if you'd like to take part in this very simple contest to win something very cool, but very simple as well, the book with the pop socket, it's going to be a very ruthless, in fact, the most ruthless version of Simon Says you've ever played in your entire life. Okay? If you would like to participate, please stand up. Mm, mm. Wow, that is really unfortunate. All of you are out. Great, great. Simon did not say to move. So if you're currently standing, have a seat. Simon says to the rest of you who didn't stand, please stand up. Very good, very good. All right, listen real closely. It's going to get heated. It's going to get fast. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. All right, Simon says you now have permission to call somebody out if they're going too slow, if you're already out yourself, okay? Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. I don't think you're even moving. Like, yep, you. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Stand up. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you even flinched, you are out. I'm so sorry. Okay, Simon says stand up. You're still in. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. If you kind of felt like you wanted to sit, you're probably out, okay? 
Okay, Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. Oh, come on. Oh, you all flinched. All right, if you're still in, just give yourself a round of applause. You're doing a great job. You're doing a really good job. Yeah? No? All right, nobody clapped. Well done. Well done. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. Okay. If you're still in, come to the front. Come to the stage. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Come to the front. Come to the front. Faster. Let's go. 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 All right. All right. All of you can go back to your seats. You're out. Yep. Sorry. So very sorry. Oldest trick in the book. It always works. Okay, Simon says, if you're still in, come to the front. Simon says, the last one to show up loses, so you better hustle. Sorry if you're in the back. Sorry if you're in the balcony. You have a definite disadvantage up there on the third floor. Wow. Okay, we have five people and two prizes. Wow. Okay, yep, keep moving. Simon says, a little faster than that. Wow, hardcore parkour, well done. Okay, uh, this is going to get really awkward and uncomfortable for a minute, but we're going to get the 10 of you down to about two pretty fast, okay? So Simon says, right where you are, have a seat. <laughs> okay, that works, that's, that's fine. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, actually, I want you back up on the ground when you sit. Okay, Simon says, sit down. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. I need you to help me figure out who goes the slowest. They're out. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. You didn't even move that time. You're out. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Don't break the stage, guys. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Simon says, stand up. Sit down. Hey, did you come from the third floor? Well done. Well done. I actually, I'm going to pretend there's a microphone in my hand. How do you feel right now? Nothing? How do you feel? Simon didn't ask that question. You can have a seat. <laughs> well done. No, no, really. Yeah, you can have. I'm so sorry. Back to the third balcony. See ya. It's ruthless, dude. Sorry. Yeah, no, really. Goodbye. Yeah, really. Simon says, get out of here. Faster than that. Simon says, sit down. No, you're good. You're good. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Stand up. Mm, Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Simon says, stand up. Okay, carefully take the stage now, because I need you guys to be up here. You thought about it. I saw you. <laughs> you wanted to. I wanted to. But you didn't. Okay, Simon says take the stage. Fast, don't break that. Okay. Oh, this is easy. Okay, Simon says uh, girls over here, guys over here. Yeah, okay, Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Stand up. You are out. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Simon says you're going to advance to the final round. Um, ladies, here we go. Simon says stand up. Simon says sit down. Simon says stand up. Sit down. Oh, oh, I think you both flinched. Wow. Alyssa. Okay, this is great. Okay. Um, real simple. So we have uh, Alyssa. Tell me your name. Uh, Simon wants to know your name. Sam, I'm so impressed. Okay. So the winner is going to have their their choice, and the loser will get whatever's left over. Okay, Simon says stand back to back. Simon says take three steps forward. 
Simon says to the rest of you, pull out your phones right now and go to lovegoodculture.com slash free and get yourself some free music. Look busy. Okay, Simon says in three seconds, no. Simon says when I count to three, you're going to turn around. Okay? But before you do that, I need you to go ahead and display a number. Simon says display a number between one and ten with your fingers, Alyssa, if you don't mind. Okay, everybody can see that number right there? Just hold it up so they can see it. Thanks, Alyssa. Okay, Simon says over here, I, I need you, Sam, to show me a number between 1 and 10 with your fingers. Can everybody see that number? Go ahead and show them. Okay, everybody? Simon says the rest of you should have the total of their fingers already in mind. Okay? Like her number plus his number. Have that total right here. Okay, Simon says on three, you guys are going to jump as fast as possible with your fingers clearly displaying your number. And you're going to count out the total number, so yours plus his, right? Sam, in your case, hers plus yours. Got it? The first one to say it out loud wins. If you say it wrong, you immediately lose on three. Simon says one, two, three. <laughs> okay, which do you want? Yeah, he chose prayer. He chose prayer. Make some noise for Sam and Alyssa. So good. So good. Wow. You know, it is such a privilege to be in Steubenville, Mid-America. I, I have to say, I've been to quite a few of these conferences now. This one remains one of my favorites. Okay, the only reason I can say that is because this isn't being live streamed. Everybody else would get pretty upset. But you guys really have something special. I mentioned it last night. I'm also pretty certain this is the biggest, if not the second biggest, of any other conference in the entire country. So that's pretty exciting. 5,000 strong this weekend. Make some noise. Make some noise. As I mentioned before, I live and I work in Nashville, and a big part of my life is supporting and investing in artists and singer-songwriters that I really believe in. And I believe in, in their ability to bring beauty to the forefront of their lives, to the forefront of their artistry, and to actually change the world, to even evangelize culture with that beauty. But the only reason it has the power to transform is because that beauty is rooted in the truth. So the question for us this afternoon is what is truth? What does it mean to believe specifically and what the church understands as objective truth. Not negotiable, not relative, not to each his own truth, but pure and objective truth. Especially when that truth is ultimately a person, namely the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to have as guides this afternoon three people that mean a lot to me. The first is Pope Benedict XVI, the second is Winston Churchill, and the third is my good man, G.K. Chesterton, who you heard from last night. Let's open up in a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we give you thanks and praise and glory for revealing yourself through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for giving each of us an infinite desire for you, an infinite, infinite desire for the truth, specifically the truth of your love. We beg pardon for all of our sins, and we ask for the grace to make this time fruitful, this time of conversation, this time of deepening our understanding of what it really means to be human. Give us a hunger and an openness for your spirit. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to begin with a quote from Pope Benedict XVI. I, I saw him while he was Pope 11 different times on at least three continents. 
You might say I was a B-16 junkie and still am today. Hugely influential in my life during some key moments of conversion. By the way, if that's my microphone, we can certainly replace it. Just let me know. No trouble. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah, you can go ahead and just mute it. It's great. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah? That's really nice. That makes a big difference. So, Benedict XVI, he came to America when I was a senior at Vanderbilt. That's what I went uh, that's where I went for college. I studied business as an undergrad. I ended up going to seminary and then only recently began actually studying more intensely a, a master's in theology. So I'm kind of like this, this wandering missionary and artist who's just been seeking after the truth for a long time. And there came a moment actually when I was in college before seeing Pope Benedict live where I began to really wrestle specifically with the truth. Like I'll never forget being a freshman at Vanderbilt, walking onto campus and realizing pretty quickly that I was going to have two kinds of friends. Half of them were going to likely be evangelical Christians who loved Jesus a lot. And then there were all of my atheists and agnostic friends. They're the ones I had class with every day. The evangelicals are the ones that I hung out with on the weekends and the evenings. Okay, and, and all of my atheist friends, I thought I was kind of crazy for having any sense of morality, much less a life of faith. And then all my evangelical friends, as much as they loved Jesus, several of them in particular, they thought I was crazy for being Catholic and actually were pretty convinced I was going to hell. Okay? And it was about this time that I really had to begin wrestling with the truth, specifically of what it really meant to believe in God, to believe in the church, to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and to understand what it means to be human, what Jesus has revealed about the truth of our humanity. Ultimately, what it means to be sons and daughters of so great a father. So when Pope Benedict stepped onto the scene, he became Pope my sophomore year, I began to gobble up everything he was putting out. In fact, it was only a few weeks before he became Pope that he gave a homily that went something like this. He said that, in fact, a dictatorship of relativism does not recognize anything as definitive. Its ultimate goal consists solely of one's own ego and desires. See, this idea of relativism was actually soaked in my entire educational experience. Relativism is basically saying that everybody has their own truth. You have yours, I have mine. We're going to agree to just tolerate each other. But actually, any sincere debate isn't possible because you just sort of have to end with a kind, tolerant, you are believing what you believe and I'm believing what I believe and that's that. Like when I went in high school to a prayer and meditation class, this was part of the theology department of my Catholic high school, I learned how to do yoga, okay? Like forget about like learning how to pray from the heart of the church or with the minds of the mystics who have gone before us. Like my Catholic high school taught me yoga, okay? It had bottomed in to some extent to this lie of relativism that there's truth everywhere and there's truth in everything. And then as I said, I went off to college and suddenly for the first time I was the only Catholic I knew. And I felt like a man on an island. And somewhere along the way I decided I was going to give the church the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. And then Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, he comes onto the scene and he begins talking about truth as this objective reality. He starts calling out what our culture has settled for, relativism. He calls that a dictatorship. Again, weeks before he becomes pope. And I'm sitting there as a college student wrestling with this for the first time. 
really having to decide, is it possible for there to be objective truth? Because everything around me, my high school experience, my experience at Vanderbilt, was seeming to tell me otherwise. And then actually the highest of all virtues was just tolerance. To just accept what everybody else seemed to hold true for themselves. And what I found is the more I studied the church and her teachings, the more I found a truth that was setting me free. I'll never forget opening up the catechism countless times as a high school student and convincing myself that actually the church's teachings on sexual morality did not apply to me. Like I could probably find you the exact paragraphs I read countless times only to convince myself that it didn't really matter that much, that sin wasn't really a big deal, and that as long as I was just sort of having good efforts and actions and intentions outweighing my sin, that I could kind of like scrape my way into heaven and that would be fine. I'll never forget in college being at a conference like this and realizing actually that I was a sinner. For the first time, embracing that truth in light of God's mercy and love and finding a truth and a freedom and a joy that I had never experienced up until that point. So if Cardinal Ratzinger is helpful in understanding this dictatorship of relativism that so much of our culture has settled for, I dare say that Winston Churchill, that great prime minister in England during World War II, he's very helpful in helping us know how we can now battle this dictator, how we should approach a dictator like relativism. There's a movie that came out not too long ago called The Darkest Hour. And if you like anything to do with World War II history, you're fascinated by those key figures, maybe you just love the art of public speaking, Churchill had a way of mobilizing the English language and sending it into battle. And in this scene, he's debating with his war council as to how they are to move forward in their relationship with Germany. And everybody around Churchill is saying, just make peace terms with Hitler. Just negotiate. Because in the end, he's, he's not going to invade England. We're not going to have any trouble. Just make peace terms. Again, with this dictator, who historically speaking is responsible for the, for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. His closest advisors were saying, just negotiate. Just be peaceful, hang in there, we'll find some terms of agreement. And Churchill responds like this. Can going down fighting if it can be avoided? Nothing even remotely patriotic in death or glory if the odds are firmly on the former. Nothing inglorious in trying to shorten a war that we are clearly losing. Losing! Europe is still... Europe is lost. And before our forces are wiped out completely, now is the time to negotiate in order to obtain the best conditions possible. Hitler will not insist on outrageous terms. He will know his own weaknesses. He will be reasonable. When will the lesson be learned? When will the lesson be learned? How many more dictators must be wooed, appeased, good God, given him mixed privileges, before we learn? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. 
I love that. You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. You see, the rest of the Europe, the rest of Europe at that time was appeasing Hitler and all of his demands. They seemed to find no trouble with the invasion of Austria and the invasion of Poland. I mean, most of us could be speaking German right now if Winston Churchill and eventually our great United States of America hadn't stepped up and called out this dictator for what he was, a mass murderer, an evil madman. And if we don't start calling out this dictator of relativism in our society today, it will clinch everything that we hold to be dear and true and eventually destroy it. Relativism doesn't set anybody free. Truth, and specifically the objective truth of God's love revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, that is the source of all true freedom. Only in the truth of God's love can we taste the freedom and the glory of what it means to be sons and daughters. See, this is how Ratzinger, or Benedict XVI, responds. He goes on to say that actually we, however, we have a different goal than the rest of the world. The Son of God, the true man, he is our measure. He is the standard by which we hold what it means to be human. When Benedict came to America my senior year of college, I went up to see him at Dunwoody in New York, this massive seminary. There was 30,000 of us, young adults from all over the country, gathered with the Pope. He came in on a helicopter, and the whole thing was electric. And those two things he said that day that I will never forget, and that confirmed everything that I believe to be true about the truth. And the first was this. He said, truth is not an opting out, but it's an opting in. So I think our notion of truth is a lot like our notion of freedom. We've settled for something so much lesser. We think freedom, for example, is just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. What you might call license. Well, that's a reductionism. That is a wild reduction of what it really means to be free. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought. It's the joyful self-mastery that comes when you give yourself away. Because you've rooted yourself so firmly in the truth of love. And so similarly, if we settle for this relativism that you guys are probably being indoctrinated with in the media and indoctrinated with in school, it eventually shuts us down. It eventually actually pulls all of the best life and energy and joy out of the church. It sucks it right out. The truth is what sets us free. And he went on to say that not only is truth an opting in, Stepping into the fullness of life, not an opting out, an opting in, he went on to say this. And this was the climactic moment of his talk that day to the 30,000 of us from all over the United States. He said this in a much cooler German accent than what you're about to hear. There is nothing more important than developing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody went wild. And in that moment, I knew, everything in me knew that he was right. That this person of Jesus Christ is truth. 
He is the standard. He is the very essence of truth. He is what every heart longs for. And as soon as we settle for anything less than that, as soon as we settle for some mumbo-jumbo bullcrap, everything is fine if you just believe it to be fine. Everything's true if you just believe it to be true. We will never have the joy that we long for, the freedom and the glory that is ours as baptized sons and daughters of a king. What does it look like for us to embrace that truth. Kind of like we talked about last night, it can be really uncomfortable sometimes. You show up and you realize all your brokenness, all your bruises, all the areas where your life is not yet conformed to the truth of God's love. And if you're anything like me, that can actually be a bit unsettling at times. Just this past summer, I had the privilege of being in Rome for two weeks to lead some pilgrimages from actually all over, like, South Dakota and Oklahoma, like, this part of the country. It was awesome. A lot of young people who had never been to Rome before. And at one point, I found myself at the top of St. Peter's Basilica. It looked something like this. I've only been up there a few times. But I'm always struck by God's glory. I'm always struck by how big and how beautiful and how great God is. When I stand there in light of my littleness, dealing with the truth of his immensity, of his infinite love. And I'm standing next to a girl whom I'll call Jessica for now. And I can sense that there's a a good friendship developing here. We've been hanging out for a week. There's about 120 of us from all over the Midwest. And she's beginning to kind of trust and open up and really allow God to do great things in her. And at one point, she turns to me and she says, you know, I just have a really hard time believing that God loves me personally. Like, I get this whole thing about God's love and his majesty and his glory, but that he loves me personally, I don't really get that. And a few moments later, we're inside the basilica experiencing an almost as beautiful view looking down at the high altar there at St. Peter's. And in a moment of inspiration, I turned to Jessica and I said, you know, actually, there's more glory in your soul than everything surrounding us, all of this basilica, in fact, all of creation combined. Any one soul in this state of grace has more of God's glory, yes, than all of the rest of creation combined. That's a lot to take in. And in this moment, she was beginning to wrestle with this truth of God's love. You could see it beginning to unsettle and actually eventually set free her soul. Later that night, we end up at this amazing dinner, a place called Abruzzi, which is just outside of uh, Casa Santa Maria, where a lot of our American priests live and pray and study. And we're sitting down, and there's about, again, a hundred of us who've taken over this restaurant. And my favorite meal, probably of all time, but certainly in Italy, is a good old rigatoni alla carbonara. Because that's like eggs and bacon. And I like it al dente, which means it's not mushy, it's perfect, right? We're sitting down having this amazing meal, and at one point Jessica turns to me, and she's just got, like, tears welling up in her eyes. And I'm thinking, like, okay, well, we are saying goodbye tomorrow. That's going to be sad, but, like, hang in there, you know. And then suddenly she begins opening up about this crazy relationship that she was in back home with this guy that maybe wasn't abusive, but, man, he was not good for her, not good for her at all. She had settled for so much less in this relationship with the guy back home that in this moment, feeling tremendously loved, tremendously honored. Yes, by this whole experience abroad, but by the people around her who were loving her well, in that moment she realized that she had settled for so much less, and it kind of horrified her. 
And she probably said way too much over dinner. And next thing you know, all the girls around her are crying. And suddenly everybody's opening up. And I'm just kind of freaking out. Like, I don't really know what to do. I'm a, I'm a dude. I'm enjoying my rigatoni alla carbonara, having a good old time, you know. Like, bring the next bottle of wine, please, you know. And next table over, there's a really great priest. So I think, okay, well, maybe the best thing for Jessica right now is if she could just go to confession. If she could just unload all of this within the sacrament of freedom, well, she'll find peace and she'll find mercy. And sure enough, I turn to her and I say, hey, like, maybe you would feel a lot better if you had the opportunity your last night in Rome to go to confession. And she's looking at me, puppy dog eyes, tears welling up. And she says, yeah, yeah, I think that would be really good. And I said, well, what if, what if you went right now? She looks down at her half-eaten rigatoni alla carbonara, and she says, yeah, I think I could handle that. And I turn to this priest friend of mine. I sort of go over to his table. I, I kneel right next to him and say, hey, uh, if you could pull this off right now, somehow stepping away before dessert has been served, do you mind hearing a confession? And I've at this point told Jessica that as soon as she sees me and Father walk out of the restaurant together, that's her cue to follow us as subtly as she wants. And sure enough, next door is the Basilica of Saints Philip and James, where casually are buried two of our Lord's 12 apostles. See, this is a normal thing in Rome. Everywhere you turn, there's a church with some apostle or some amazing saint buried, okay? And sure enough, Father waits outside of that basilica as Jessica walks over and gives the best confession of her life, wrestling with her own brokenness, her own confusion, but ultimately allowing herself to be embraced by the truth of God's love. By the time she was done going to confession, there was 11 more people in line behind her. Nobody ate dessert that night. And it was a transformative experience. See, this is what truth ultimately does. In the words of our Lord, he says this. If you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so his disciples answered him, well, we're descendants of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. So how can you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, amen, amen, I say to you. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son always remains. Did you catch that? A son, a daughter, a child always remains. So here's the great opportunity before us, the great invitation that I hold out to all of you this afternoon. Keep wrestling with the truth. When... When Jacob wrestled with the angel of God, he got a dislocated hip, and then he got a new name. His new name was Israel. God's people were named after him from that point forward. It's okay to wrestle with God. He always wins every single time. This is the undefeated champion of every wrestling match for sake of the truth that the world has ever known. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to actually be confused and to seek answers. But know that we have a church who is a holy mother, who has been thinking about these things for 2,000 years. And her development of doctrine is so beyond anything else that any other institution could ever hope to offer. That clinging to her as a mother, I think you'll find as I did, that she always shows up with all the answers, all the truth that ultimately lead to freedom and to joy. Let's beg God as we close out with this passage from Chesterton for the grace to believe in truth 
objective truth. To not settle for these tigers that already have their mouths around our neck. But to actually stand strong in the truth of God's love. Knowing that actually it's his sons and daughters who always remain in his household. Who hang in there. You know, you really can't critique the church. I don't think you can. Unless you're her son or daughter. So being a faithful son or daughter of the church, it gives you permission to wrestle. And I assure you, in my limited 32 years of experience, you will find hope and freedom and joy every single time as you fall more and more in love with the truth that is Jesus Christ himself. Chesterton, as he closed out one of his most famous passages in this work called Orthodoxy, it totally sold out today, by the way, so well done, that's cool. At this point, he's not even a Catholic yet. Chesterton, having been a famous atheist before he eventually became a Christian and eventually a Catholic, he was always wrestling with the truth. Because he had a great mind, he had a great way of expressing that wrestling, that contending, that constant battling out for the freedom and the joy that he knew he longed for. And he once said this, It is always simple to fall. In fact, there are an infinity of angles at which one falls, but only one at which one stands. You see, to have fallen into any of the heresies from Gnosticism to Christian science, you know, that would have been obvious and tame. But to have avoided all the heresies has been one whirling adventure. And in my vision, the heavenly chariot flies thundering through the ages, the dull heresies sprawling and prostrate, the wild truth reeling but erect. If I could close with any encouragement, it would be this. There's nothing more exciting and adventurous than the truth of God's love. It doesn't just carry this, the church through the centuries, but it carries you through every joy, difficulty, trial, and blessing of your life. Let's again beg God for this grace to believe in his truth that sets us free. To not settle for the counterfeits, but to be strong in mind and in heart as we enter into a culture that is isolated, that is sick, that is dark, despairing, and dying because there aren't enough saints living among us. Let's beg God for that grace to be saints in the midst of a world that has settled for so much less. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we proclaim you as the truth the truth that our hearts long for, the truth that sets us free, the truth that reveals the Father's love, the truth that sends the Holy Spirit in all of his power and might into our very hearts, even at this moment. Lord Jesus, we proclaim the truth of who you are. We thank you for the great invitation that you hold out to each of us this afternoon to wrestle with the truth, but ultimately to not settle along the way, to not fall into any of the boring and lame traps of this world, and especially that of relativism, but to believe, in fact, that in discovering and deepening our love for you as the truth, we will find freedom and joy and glory beyond our wildest imagination. Give us firm hearts, strong minds, and childlike spirits. As we pray, all glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Y'all have been amazing. I'll be sticking around for a little bit. We'll see you guys tonight.